take our Bibles this morning to John chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 35 through 41. We're going to finish out the chapter today. John chapter 9 and verse 35. The title of the message this morning is True Vision and True Blindness. True Vision and True Blindness. Of course, chapter 9, we have, of course, uh, learned of the account Jesus uh, had with a man, the encounter he had with a man who was born blind, how he uh, gave this man his sight. He miraculously healed this man. And of course, from that, there came much, by the way, of, of uproar. There, there was much, by the way, of investigation, we learned, and, and there was interrogation that took place. And, and, and today, we're going to pick it up at the end of this this account. And of course, the Gospel of John is written with an evangelistic uh, purpose so that we may believe. And we're going to look at the end of this uh, chapter, and this is the most pivotal, the most important, I think, uh, portion of this chapter because of the fact that it's laid out what belief looks like and, and, and what it, it, what it ushers us into. It allows us to have that relationship with Jesus. And so, uh, if you're there in your Bibles this morning, say amen. We're going to start reading in verse number 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he heard, he had found him, excuse me, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who, ta- who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we, also, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. As long as I can remember, when I'd read a book, I'd always rush to the end of the book and see how the story ended. Anybody like that? Anybody? I thought it was just me, but I like to know how the story's going to end. I don't, I'm not one for surprises. You can ask my wife, you know, there's a few times that she's, she's so graciously tried to surprise me with something or a party or something of that nature and, and, um, my, I couldn't even hide my expression in those moments. Uh, I like to know how things are going to end. And this morning we come to the end of this encounter. We don't hear about this blind man after this in Scripture. But this blind man from birth, of course, formerly a beggar, was pursued by Jesus and received his sight. And, and of course, that got him in hot water with the establishment, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. And, um, of course, we left it off last week with him being cast out from the synagogue. His folks wouldn't even identify the truth. His folks, his mom and his dad, they, they said, you ask him. We don't know how he received his sight. He's of age and they wouldn't identify with him. But this man boldly stood before the, 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 the spiritual leaders of that day. And said, this man I believe is a prophet. I believe that this man Jesus who healed me, he's sent from God. He is divine in some way. 
And so this man, he, in his one encounter with Jesus, had more knowledge than these Pharisees over their years and years and years of training. He knew the truth about Jesus. And I'm telling you this, the truth about Jesus is the most important truth that any person could ever know. You understand that? Where you stand with Jesus will determine your eternity. Your relationship with Jesus Christ, because He is the only way to the Father, will determine where you spend eternity. Now, every one of us in here this morning, we will spend eternity someplace. There's a part of you and there's a part of me that is eternal. When God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul, the Bible says. He became an eternal soul. Anything that God breathes into is eternal. And so we have uh, an eternal part of us, you know, and that will spend eternity. That, that means no end in sight. That means that our eternity, infinity, it means uh, there's no measure of it, will be spent in one or two places. The Bible lays out heaven or hell. It's a heaven or hell issue what you do with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you today, many pulpits today have shunned away from preaching heaven sweet and hell hot. I, I understand that it's uncomfortable. I don't quite understand all, all that is entailed with this, this crucial truth of the Word of God. But I'm telling you this, uh, Jesus, He spoke about two things the most while He was on planet Earth, and that was heaven and hell. He knew very well that eternity was looming for every human. You guys understand this, that there will be an expiration date for every one of us. And we, you know, we talk about this often from the pulpit. I realize that I am only an itinerant pastor. I realize that my time here is very temporal and that there will be someone long after I'm dead and gone who, Lord willing, will stand and proclaim these same truths. And I have stepped into the line of those who have gone before me, who have finished their course and have preached this glorious gospel. And because of those men and women who some many gave their life's blood to proclaim this truth, we stand here today. Someone told you about Jesus, didn't they? It might have been your mama. Oh, let me tell mamas, I do everything I can and every opportunity that I get to encourage moms, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you have to work, whatever it is that God has for you, whether you're a single mom, I want to encourage you. You have influence uh, in your children's life that no one else will ever have. I'm telling you, you have an audience that will uh, always listen and give heed to you. Yes, I know during their teenage years they might think that you're old-fashioned. They might think that mom doesn't know what's going on, but I promise you they're going to come around. And I'm telling this to you moms, I want to encourage you uh, to be aware that you are doing everything uh, in your power. You should be doing everything in your power to be praying for and witnessing and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with your children. Abraham Lincoln, his stepmother, is the one who led him to Christ. And of course, we know he grew up and he, he changed his world. I, I want you to know, some of you, you don't realize it, but you're, cha- you're raising a world changer. You don't realize it. I don't think my mother realized, maybe she did, uh, that that God would put me on this platform, that God would allow me to preach the gospel and, and see people come to know Christ. I don't I don't think sometimes we know the magnitude of the influence we as parents have and, and we will steer those children either towards Christ or away from Christ. You know, parents, when you only bring your kids to church once every four weeks, you know what you're doing? You're steering them away from Christ. Christ isn't a priority. 
He isn't the, you know, soccer, travel ball, then church down here. You know, that, that says something. The children raised in that type of home, they, they went to church once every four weeks. They might go for Christmas and Easter with their kids, and then their kids probably won't even ever grace the doors of a church. And I'm telling you this morning, this is pivotal. This is something that we must uh, understand, that your life is, is of, of utmost importance. How you live speaks volumes to your children. I don't know how I got on that rabbit trail, but... We'll find our way back. True vision. I'm telling you, today I feel like people in the church, we don't have vision from God. The Bible says that where there is no vision, the people perish. When we don't see things through an eternal worldview, a biblical worldview, then People around us, sometimes in your very own home, will perish. And I want you to get that this morning. I don't know why the Lord has me right here, but I'm telling you, some of you grandparents, uh, parents, you've got to wake up. You're asleep at the well. And you don't even realize the direction that your, your home is going. You don't know the state of your children. You don't know what they're in and involved with and, and, and what you are, in essence, contributing to. I want this to be said of me, that if, if not I'm successful in anything else, but that I was the dad that I was called to be, the husband that I was called to be. Those are the most important things uh, as far as my, my sphere of influence. And so I want to encourage you guys with that. But Jesus, of course, he is going to meet this man once again. I want you to notice with me today, true vision. Some things, some truths about true vision. I want you to see true vision this morning is acknowledged by God. Acknowledged by God. You want to get God's attention? Be open to what He's going to do. Be seeking Him. Be, be willing to identify with Him. I don't want you to see what takes place. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast Him out. Now remember, they cast this man out from the synagogue. This would have had significant impacts on this man's life. These religious leaders, they, of course, treated this man terribly. And that's what religion does. Religion always uses people. It uses and abuses people. And, and then uh, it treats people as less than. The higher elites are here, and, and the, the people who, uh, who are a part of that, they are down here. And I'm telling you, I've seen it time and time again. And and man-centered religion always leaves people disillusioned. It leaves people wanting to, to, to leave what they view as a religious activity. And so this man, he'd been cast out. He, he was treated terribly. They abused this man. They, they reviled him in front of the whole group of people there. They insulted him. They said, you were born in sin. And then they kicked him out. They reject him. They cast him out. But then we see our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He hears this, and what does he do? He seeks him out. He goes to him. You know, I've been seeing, you know, in the news, I think God has been exposing true shepherds, true pastors, and a lot of these people who call themselves pastors who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Maybe you have heard about the newest one who, um, who's gone viral is a, is a pastor preaching about and he was scolding. He was, he was 
he was getting angry with his congregation because they did not buy him the watch that he wanted. And I'm telling you, God is exposing, he's exposing the wickedness within the church. He's exposing the charlatans. I'm going to tell you something. If he's in it, if a pastor is in it for what he gets out of it, he won't be in it for long. Let me tell you that. I'm thankful we have a pastor here who isn't in it for what he gets out of it. He was very successful before he got into, for God called him here. And I'm, I'm thankful that God has uh, brought him here and, and his discipleship in my life. He won't ever tell you guys this, but if he goes to preach, he, do, he doesn't accept the love offerings. He says, no, I'm just here to, to bless you. Sometimes it's thousands of dollars. And he'll say, no, use that for something. Um, you know, I'm telling you, there are those, the Bible talks about a pastor. And I'm telling you, you guys, some of you have been hurt by these types of leaders in the church. And the Bible says of a pastor that he should not be certain things. And one of those things, he should not be greedy. He should not be about the money. He should not be about uh, what is he going to get out of it. A true shepherd who is on fire for God, it's about what he can give to the flock. It's about how he can serve people. It's about how he can help people and be there. And so Jesus is, of course, the good shepherd we're going to learn next uh, next time. And he goes to his sheep who are who's been cast out, this man who has demonstrated faith in who Jesus was no matter what the cost was. And, and he, uh, I heard this quote this week, it says, if he finds and receives, what does it matter who rejects? I'm telling you this morning, I stand here as one who has been received by the Master. And I'm telling you, because of that, I stand here before you bold to proclaim His Gospel. And I promise you, yes, it may hurt when others reject you. Yes, it may cause you pain when you feel the ridicule and the rejection. But I want you to understand at the end of the day, it matters that you are accepted by Jesus and stand alone in that. And that's more than enough that you are accepted accepted in the beloved this morning. I want to tell somebody that. Often Christians throughout history have been ridiculed, they've been ostracized, they've been outcast. But isn't he worthy of it? Isn't he worthy to be identified with him? It's He's worthy of that. And so, Jesus goes to this man who had been cast out. He, the Bible says he found him. He found him. He pursued him. Jesus takes the initiative. And then he begins to engage him. Look what he says. Look, Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe in the Son of God? Now even though this man had never seen Jesus' face, obviously he recognized the Lord's voice. He's going to call Jesus Lord He's going to give him a title of honor. And Jesus, of course, is the living word. The Logos in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And I want you to understand today, as I preach about this same Jesus, he's the written word. He is the living word. And I'm telling you, people who reject the word of God, uh, they are not rejecting us. They are rejecting him. And that's dangerous to be in that position. 
I've seen it and you've seen it. You start to talk about Scripture and people begin to manifest. You start to talk about the, the good news of the Gospel and the demons don't like it in people. I've seen it. I've seen people want to argue. People come out the woodwork. I'll be talking to, I'll be witnessing to someone else and then someone comes in, a third party, to try to argue with me in that moment. Anybody ever been there? You want to know why? Because people hate people who are rejecting God. Uh, their hearts are hardened and they're influenced by the demonic realm. And I want you to understand something today. Uh, even though we will receive opposition, we still need to share the Word of God. Now Jesus asked him a question. It's an emphatic question. He gets straight to the point. Do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus is going to reveal Himself to this man in just a moment as God in the flesh. And Jesus in that revelation he is going to call this man to a decision. He is going to call this man to make the commitment to follow him. Do you believe? Now that word belief is, is a loaded word. It means to, of course, place all of your hope um, in Jesus, all of your faith in Jesus. He is your only, uh, he's the only option. You know, we place our faith in so many different things, don't we, on a daily basis. When you go to the doctor, you place your faith in that position, right? That he's going to know what to do. He's going to be able to diagnose what's going on with you. When you go to the bank and you deposit your money, um, you are trusting the banker to uh, do what's right by your funds. And I found this to be just more, more, more evident each, each and every day that we place our faith in so many other finite things and and I'm telling you, fallible things, but Jesus, of course, is perfect. He's perfection. He's God. He's the only Savior. And so what Jesus was asking this man was to make a decision to follow Him, to, to, to receive Him as Lord and Savior. This man had already, already been ridiculed for believing Jesus was someone of significance. He wouldn't deny, no matter the, the, how much the religious leaders leaned into him, that he thought Jesus was from God. And now he would be re rewarded for his belief. He would receive the reward from uh, his stance, his identification with Christ. And I've learned this, that God, he's going to come and he's going to reveal himself to those who truly are open, who truly are seeking, who truly have a desire to know the truth. And uh, today, so many people aren't even open to the truth. They want to reject. They have no desire for Jesus. And so this man, he gets, he hears this question from Jesus. He's acknowledged by Jesus. Jesus sought him out. He goes to him. But I want you to see, secondly, this man, he's aware of his need. He's aware of his need. Look at verse 36. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord? Who is he? Who is the Son of God you're speaking about that I may believe in him? Now I want you to just hear the humility in that question. This man, he had not arrived. He knew that he didn't know what he didn't know. He hadn't saw some documentary one day and come to the conclusion that that is the absolute truth. There's no more that I need to be made aware of. How many of you guys have met people that way, that they've, they've done their research, 
and they come to the conclusion that the Bible is tainted. It was written by man to control man. And it was, you know, this Jesus was a good man, but he was not the God man. How many guys know people just like that? I think we all do. And you know what's behind that? That's pride. I know what I know, and I'm not moving from it. I'm not admitting that I could have been deceived. I could have been wrong in my uh, conclusion. And so, but this man was the opposite of that. You see, God resists the proud, but he giveth more grace to the humble. The humble, humility, the question that he asks, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? See, obviously Jesus had awareness that he did not have. Obviously Jesus had ability that he did not uh, attain to because he had given him his sight. And so he said, Lord, who is he that I may believe in him? He was aware of his need. I think this man was aware that he was a sinner too. How many of you say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. This week I was reminded of it. You know, <laughs> just... Being a father really often exposes me. <laughs> often my kids bring me to the brink of my patience. <laughs> Anybody else can relate? And I'm just saying, I love them. I love them. Wouldn't trade anything for them. But they get on how to tap dance on your last nerve, don't they? And I think God does that on purpose. <laughs> and it's like God was telling me this week, now you know what it's like for me to deal with youth. He's a gracious father, right? How many times have we been in rebellion to our father? How many times have we willfully disobeyed our father, and yet he still shows us grace and mercy? He still loves us. He still, uh, he still blesses us, even sometimes in the midst of that rebellion. And I'm telling you this week, I was reminded of God's goodness in, in, in my life. And so this man was aware of his need. He was, he was once a blind beggar with no hope. Now he had hope. Now he had his vision. Even though he had been excommunicated from the synagogue, he at least knew that he, uh, he had some type of, uh, of, a, of an avenue now to take care of himself. And, and he was at least open to hear what, what Jesus was going to tell him he was aware of his need. But I want you to see not only was he aware of the need that he had, but he's going to accept the word of God. Look at what Jesus says to him. Verse 7. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. This is the second time that Jesus openly, so far in the Gospel of John, declares that he is the Son of God. And I find that to be very telling. Like I said, God, he reveals himself to the humble, those who are seeking, those who are truly open. And he veils himself to the prideful. You want to know why many men and women don't have the fullness of the Spirit of God in our lives? It's because pride hinders it. You know why we don't pray? It's pride. We think we can handle the day. More and more I'm aware of that I might wake up this morning and something was going to go on that I can't handle. And so this is what's more so driving me to prayer. I mean, I could share many testimonies of many instances where Something just in a split second just completely happen, changes and changes someone's life. And, and, and I just want you to 
to understand that we must be humble. We must be in that position to understand that we aren't in control, that we need God. And this man was aware, and he was going to hear what Jesus said, and he's going to respond. I want you to understand when God reveals something to you, when God's word is preached, when the truth is, is declared of the gospel, it always requires a response. It always requires a decision to be made. And so this man asks, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus reveals, he says, the one who you see, which is a miracle, uh, uh, the one that you're looking at right now is he. And the one you are talking to right now is he. And I want you to understand this man, he receives the word. I want you to see verse 38. He says, then he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Him. He accepted the Word of God. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. No one is saved without the Word of God. You understand that? Some people say, oh, well, I'm trying to win my neighbor to Christ by my lifestyle evangelism. When he sees the difference in me, oh, he's going to ask, what must I do to be saved? That's very few and far in between. I'm going to tell you that. Yes, us living a different life, a set-apart life, will be a testimony. But do you know that you have to come to the point sometimes, well, every time, excuse me, where you share the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. Confrontational evangelism. Sometimes we've got to tell people that they are lost. Sometimes we've got to offend people and say, you know what, you're a sinner. I've been around you long enough, co-worker. I know that you're a sinner like me and that you need a Savior and this is what Jesus is in fact telling him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who has come that God had promised would come into the world to save you from yourself. People need saving from ourselves, guys. You guys understand that? That some our worst enemy is the one who we look in the mirror at. So this man, he hears this truth and he accepts the word. He says, Lord, I believe. Jesus identified himself. And the beggar believed. He said, John, in John 10, we're going to see it pretty soon. He says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. There are some people who you're going to share with, and they're not going to hear his voice. They're going to reject. And I want to encourage us with that, too. Even you may just be planting a seed. Some plant God, or some water, right? But God gives the increase. You know, I'm aware of this, that I may just be putting the seeds in the soil. I may just be sowing the the soils for someone else to come alongside and and, and reap the harvest. You know, you may just be talking to that coworker. You may not see them come to Christ in your lifetime, but it may be someone at another season or someone at the right time when they are ready, when they are ripe, will come and reap the harvest. I want to encourage some of you guys with that. So you say, Pastor, I've been witnessing, but I don't have any stories yet. You know, you already sharing these stories about people getting saved, and I'm, but I'm aware it's not me. I'm not the soul winner. Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the soul winner, and people have to respond, and people will respond in the right timing. You understand how Jesus dealt with this man? It was different than most. First, he healed him, right? Then he allowed him to endure persecution. Then he called him after all this to specific belief. 
You see, I've learned this to be true, that God, He works differently in different people's lives. Some of you were saved the very first time you heard the gospel. Others of you, it took years and decades and a, and a cancer prognosis and a failed marriage and a, some of you are hard-headed. Some of you are some, some tough, <laughs> hard hearts, I'm telling you. God will deal with that though. I truly believe. And so some of you are praying for someone. Say, I've been praying for 10 years for my husband. I've been praying for 30 years for my spouse. I want to encourage you. It may just be right around the corner. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago how we were able to see a man uh, come to Christ from a family in this church. And he had gone to Jet Hawks and his wife had given her life to Christ. And she was baptized, but he didn't move until a few weeks ago. When the prognosis from cancer came, the cancer came back that he had once beaten, and didn't. And, this, and so now he's open. He realizes, hey, this I may not win. I need to be serious about what is going to happen to me. And and I'm, and I'm telling you that he got he got he got saved. Saved. You ever see someone get saved and it's just like they, <laughs> they, they don't even bat an eye, and you, you wonder like. This person really get saved? It wasn't that way with him. And I know it's not all about the outward and the emotions, but he cried. And I cried. <laughs> and we went in the backyard and we baptized him. And I'm telling you guys, we just need to be faithful to share the Word of God. I know I sound like a broken record every week, but this week you're going to meet somebody. You might meet somebody who's so close to eternity, and this might be their last opportunity to trust in Christ. And I want to encourage you to share your faith, to share the good news that Jesus saves, that Jesus saves, that Jesus saves sinners who we all are. He said, Lord, I believe. And aren't you thankful that God makes it so clear that salvation is through faith and faith alone? It's not of works of righteousness which we have done. Because this man, did he, did he perform some superior religious activity? Did he go and, uh, you know, on a long, far trek and, and reach the, the height of some tall mountain and then ascended and finally, uh, you know, then he was ready? No. Did he do good works and, and accomplish many things and then God was pleased to, to save him? Absolutely not. Jesus said, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of God? Oh, I think about in Acts, there was a Philippian jailer who was given charge over Paul and Silas, and we know what happened. At midnight, God shook that prison, and the doors were open, and they could have escaped. And this man thought for sure he was a dead man. He was about to take his own life. When Paul said to him, do yourself no harm, we are all still here. And when he had uh, heard that uh, they were there and he saw this miracle, he said, what must I do to be saved? And you know what Paul said? He said, oh, go get baptized. Go do this. You know, go, go sacrifice this many lambs. Go do this. No. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. I know it seems to be the religious. You see, the cross is the stumbling block to religious people. 
They think that because they do these works or they live a certain lifestyle or because they're a part of a certain church that that's going to get them to heaven. I want you to understand, just because you came into this church this morning, it doesn't make you a Christian. Just as much as if I go into the garage, it doesn't make me a car. I'm telling you, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart and thou shalt be saved. simple. No one's going to get to heaven boasting. No one's going to go into heaven and say, hey, hey, yeah, I got here because I was a preacher at Westside Christian Fellowship, you know, and yeah, we worshiped in that church. Yeah, God would show up all the time. He was pleased with me, so he said, hey, come on in, Abram, you. No. <laughs> no. It's only through faith in Jesus he believed that he was the Son of God. He affirmed this. This rich man said, I believe. Oh, Jesus revealed himself and he responded. I want you to see what he does next. The Bible says, and he worshipped him. Now, this is, I want you to get this. This man worshipped him. This, I want you to see the progression in this man's salvation. In the beginning, remember when he was healed, he said, they asked him, who healed you? He said, a man named Jesus, right? So in the beginning, Jesus was a man. Just a man, right? And then later on, they asked him, what do you think about him, the religious leaders? Uh, oh, he's a prophet. I think he's a prophet. And then later on, when he got frustrated, when they kept asking him the same question, he, he mocked him and said, do you want to be his disciple as well? So this man said, uh, this blind beggar said, I'm his disciple. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him once I find him. I don't know where he is, but I'm going to follow this Jesus. And then later on in verse 33, uh, he said to them, oh, if this man were from God, this man, he, he couldn't do what he do except he be from God. So he says, this man is from God. Oh, and then he goes on and Jesus reveals that he is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. And, and then this man re, is, goes from just believing that he's that to trusting in him on his own, receiving him as his own only Savior. And then he goes to worshiping him. I want you to see the progression in this man's salvation. It was quite an ordeal, but he got to the destination. And I'm telling you, some of you, you might be on step three of it this morning, but I want to encourage you to, to skip a few steps maybe and just go to Jesus this morning because he wants to save you and give you eternal life. Jesus, he worshiped him. Now, Jesus, this is also affirming that Jesus is God. You see, because if Jesus is, if Jesus isn't God, he would not have received his worship. And I'm telling you, Jesus was worshipped many times. Oh, think about it. Thomas, when he saw him after he had resurrected, he worshipped him. He says, my Lord and my God. When he asked Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Nathaniel said it, oh, uh, when Jesus told him, yeah, I saw you when you were over there by that fig tree. Uh, and he said, you are indeed the Christ. Oh, I'm telling you, John the Baptist, he confirmed it when he saw him coming along the horizon. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. I'm telling you he received worship because he is God in the flesh and I'm telling you this morning don't listen to the cults when they try to say Jesus is something below God or Jesus is a created being or Jesus is less than God he is all of God in the body of a man he was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man and today he sits in on the throne of
of heaven as the Lord of heaven. And I'm telling you, that's why we worship Him. That's why we sing His praises. That's why we exalt no other name but the name of Jesus. I get excited about that. He worshiped Him. Now, I want you to know what this looked like. He probably got down on his knees. He probably put his head to the ground. He probably, uh, in front of everyone, he worshiped him. I'm, I've learned this. When you realize who Jesus is, you don't care who sees you worship him. You aren't ashamed of him. You aren't ashamed to witness for him. You aren't ashamed of, of, of testifying of what Jesus has done for you. He trusted him. He worshiped him. True vision looks like that, guys. When someone is acknowledged by God, when God shows up in their situation, I want you to understand God always takes the first step. I said it last week. No one found God. God was always the one who takes the first step. He found you and I when we were lost. And this is what happened again. God acknowledged him and then he was aware of his need and then he accepted the word of God and he received salvation. I want you to see not only... Can we look at today true vision? But I want you to see true blindness. True blindness. So this takes place. This man receives the salvation. He worships Jesus. But I want you to see what takes place after that. Verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Now Jesus is he's always taking opportunities to, to teach to, to instruct and to uh, preach. And, and so, and never are the Pharisees far from him. They are always close by him. There are, wherever he went, the Pharisees were there because they wanted to try to catch him in some type of, uh, of trip up or they wanted to try to uh, speak against something that he would say. And, and so they are present. I want you to see what they say. The blind. This is what the blind do. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say these words, and they said to him, Are we also blind? I want you to see true blindness is always revealed by Jesus. Jesus is the dividing line between those who see and those who are blind. His statement in front of these Pharisees, uh, of course, it was directed towards them. It was very pointed. It was very intentional because even though they claimed to have sight, they were blind. They could not distinguish that this is God in the flesh, the Messiah we've been waiting on. And today is the same thing. I've said this from the pulpit many times. There's only two types of people in the world today, the saints and the ain'ts. Saints are those who have placed their faith in Christ and Him alone. The ain'ts are everyone else. And I'm telling you, this is the dividing line. Jesus, just like He divides our way of measuring time, they're trying to change that to, the, I think they have in most textbooks already, it's no longer B.C. and A.D., right? It's like B.C.E. and something else. You know, they're trying to remove Christ, but they will never remove Christ. They will, the truth is the truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he is, he reveals that these men are blind. They have spiritual blindness. Just like this man, the beggar, was once physically blind and spiritually blind, but now because of his faith in Christ, he has spiritual sight and Jesus had restored his 
of course, his physical sight. But these men, because of their pride, they were they were blinded. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus' statement here of coming for judgment, it is not a contradiction to what he said in John 3, how he did not come into the world to condemn the world. Christ's coming was, in fact, for salvation. He was coming to save. But the result of his coming was condemnation for those who would not believe. I've learned this, guys. The same sun that brings beauty out of the seeds also exposes the vermin that are hiding under the rocks. I want to say that again. The same sun that brings the beauty beauty out of the seeds also exposes the vermin that are hiding under the rocks. So Jesus, he exposed these religious people. He exposed them as blind spiritually. And they are unwilling to admit that they are blind spiritually. Therefore, the light of the world is before them and they are as blind as ever. This beggar had more uh, of God than they ever would receive. And I just want to say this. Don't let pride send you to a Christless eternity. Some of you, you, you said, my whole life I rejected, my whole life I believe this, my whole life this, or I come to this, this conclusion, and you won't turn from it. Let me tell you, don't let your pride separate you from God for all of eternity. You can turn today. If you are hearing this message, you are given another opportunity to respond to it, to turn away, to repent, to say, I was heading towards damnation, but I, I understand today that I'm a sinner. I understand that my good works can never Save me. I understand that Jesus is the only one who could give me eternal life. And you turn to him in faith and receive the gift of salvation today. And I'm telling you, you will never regret that decision. Those religious leaders, they were blind, leading the blind. They had gotten so prideful because of their position, because they were elevated in the community because others thought them to be wise. They did not want to lose the prestige of their position. And so they were willing to sacrifice eternity for a few years of notoriety. And I want to say don't sacrifice eternity for anything this side of eternity. I'm telling you, you may lose family. You may lose business deals. You may lose whatever it may be for Christ. But it is it is worth it. It is worth it. So true blindness is revealed by Jesus, but I want you to see those who are truly blind reject reject him. No one who is no one is so blind, but those who, who choose not to see, who will not see, who say that they have all truth and that they understand all they need to know. What Jesus said in verse 39 disturbed these men. It annoyed them and it caused them to, to have to respond to him. But they were not going to reverse course. They were not going to change. As I mentioned before, they were, they were blinded by their pride. But I want to see Jesus' response and we're done this morning. You see, Jesus, he's going to call it for what it is. He's going to give them an answer. And there's, there's a paradox in the answer here. He says to them, he says, if you were blind... You would have no sin. So if you, if you just were unaware, if you just could not see, if you just, uh, just were just in the dark, uh, because only those who are blind cannot see the light. If you were just there, then you would have no sin. You know, 
people who don't know what they don't know, uh, they are, I think God shows more grace to those. He's going to, I believe, truthfully show up in their lives to show them the truth. But I'm telling you, but those who have their eyes shut because they, they refuse, those who who say that they see those who say, oh, I, I have it together. Oh, I'm good. I have my religion. I have this. I have that. And I don't need your Jesus or I don't need your type of religion. Those are the ones who are in mortal danger of eternity separated from God. You see, Jesus said, therefore, your sin remains. Your sin remains. You see, religion does not provide a payment for sin. You guys understand that? Only the blood of Jesus. We sung that just a moment ago, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus for my sins. This is the problem with religion, with works, with anything other than Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is there is no payment for sin. And I want you to understand God is a holy God. He's a righteous and holy God. And no one with sin is allowed into his perfect dwelling place of heaven. And this is why Jesus came down and he lived a perfectly sinless life. And he shed his royal red blood on the cross for my sins, for the sins of the world. And that all and any who place their faith in him and the finished work of the cross, they alone receive eternal life. To them, he gives them the power to become the sons of God. And I want you to understand this morning, it's a simple message, but it is the most powerful message. And if you're here today without Christ, I want to encourage you, don't reject him another moment. Call on his name. The Bible is clear that if you call on him for salvation, he will receive you. He will save you. This blind man, he started off this chapter blind, destitute, without any hope. But as I said, you know, at the end of the story, it's a happy ending. This man is in Christ. This man, we're going to meet him in heaven if you're saved this morning. I hope in heaven we get to just replay some of these 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 accounts, these events, and see them as they're played out. But this morning I want to encourage those of us who are in Christ. Let's be reminded to stay on mission this week. Wherever God has you, be a faithful witness. Be a faithful testimony for Jesus. Be willing to confront people with the truth lovingly. Be willing to share the good news that Jesus saves. And God will bless that. I know he will. Be willing to sow those seeds into lives.